I'm a bit of a wanderer when I talk, so I've thrown the uh, lapel mic on. Um, but for those who don't know me, my name's Dean. Uh, I'm uh, from Brisbane, don't hold that against us. Uh, Chelsea and I, we live out in the Redlands, so not technically Brisbane, so hopefully that's a bit of a saving grace. Uh, out near the water, which is lovely. Um, I was a Baptist pastor for, for about 10 years. Over the, uh, the last couple, um, I've been doing something a little bit different, which I'll tell you about in a moment. Um, but yeah, was was a pastoral intern at City North Baptist, which is where Alon and Kerry uh, were when they were in Brisbane, which is kind of the connection with a whole heap of text messages over the last couple of weeks that means that I'm here today preaching with you guys, which is a real joy. Um, so yes, yeah, so, uh, most recently was the pastor at Birkdale Baptist Church, um, looking after things like discipleship and worship and, and stuff like that. For the last couple of years, um, I've been focusing more on sports chaplaincy, so uh, a bit of a, a different ministry. I mean, we all, we've all heard of uh, school chaplains and things like that, uh, but I've, I've been a sports chaplain. Actually, I've been one for 19 years. Uh, grew up in Ipswich and uh, had a, a real love and passion for motorsport. And so there was an opportunity to become a, a chaplain for the local drag race strip out there at Willowbank. Um, my father and I started that, as I said, 19 years ago uh, with an organisation called Sports Chaplaincy Australia, uh, who work all over the country. Um, my father is now the chaplain for V8 Supercars Australia. He's down, heading down to Newcastle at the moment, getting ready for their first round of the year next year. Um, and, and I worked with supercars for, for about six or seven years as well. So we got to work in elite sport and now don't hold it against me, I uh, have moved into AFL. I know that's not the most popular sport in Queensland, uh, especially once you get out of Brisbane and the, the influence of the Brisbane Lions. But uh, I've been working for the, the Redland Victoria Point Sharks, which is a QAFL team. Uh, for the last five years and uh, it's been a really cool opportunity just to get get out of the church building. As a pastor I found there was a lot of times where I could go the entire week and only speak to Christians. That just seemed to be my role and, and if I wasn't actively going out of my way to try and find ways to, to make connections with non-Christian people, it was very easy to become very insular and I think that's something that happens to us as Christians at times and so being a chaplain has kind of really turned that around for me and given me an opportunity to um, spend my time with some guys who wouldn't even think twice about ever walking through the doors of a church yet they um, welcome me with open arms every week into their locker room. Uh, and there's just some great stories there that I can tell you later because I don't have time to go into all of that now. Um, but as, as was mentioned, I'm married to Chelsea. Chelsea and I um, have been enjoying the opportunity to, to visit different churches over the last couple of years since I haven't been um, working in one particular. And it's, so it is a joy to come up here and, and come and speak to you guys and, and, and preach the word this morning. Um, my passion really is for the church um, and is for the people of the church that... that um, to come together to, to worship Jesus, to understand who he is and to present that gospel to people who don't know Jesus yet. Um, uh, and that, my real passion, I think, is to see people who aren't in the church come to an understanding of what the church really is. It's not just a set of rules. It's not just an old traditional thing that's from a bygone era that they don't have to worry about anymore. Uh, they come, I love seeing people come to an understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's kind of what I want to speak about this morning uh, as, as we jump into this passage, an aspect of who Jesus is. Specifically, what I want to talk about this morning is the supremacy of Christ, the supremacy of Jesus. Um, 
Why don't I pray and then we're going to jump into that. Lord Jesus, as we open your word now, uh, I pray that you would speak to us. Uh, look, I understand that I, I, I am a, a, an imperfect human who has, who has worked um, these words of yours for, for explanation today, but Lord, you are the one who, who sinks it into our heart. You are the one who speaks to our very soul, for you are the one that has saved us, Lord. And so, Lord, today I pray that you will be the one who speaks through these words and, and as we open your scripture. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. So what does this idea mean, this idea of the supremacy of Jesus? I'm going to jump back into the passage in a moment, but I think the idea of supremacy is actually something that, that we're kind of already pretty familiar with. If I go, oh, yep, the clicker's back working, that's good. I mean, we're, we all have a pretty good understanding when it comes to things like superhero. Superhero movies are something that have just blown up over the last 10 years or so, isn't it? And we've got all the Marvel movies, we've got DC trying to do all these things now. But for me, when I think superhero, this is the picture I see. Superman, that original cartoon or comic version, who is just supreme, isn't he? I mean, that's his name. He's Superman. Um, Nothing can stand against him. He is stronger than everything. He can leap tall buildings in a single bound. He's faster than a, a speeding bullet. He's like bullets bounce off him. No one can defeat him. And I mean, I know I'm not, I'm not nerdy enough to get into these conversations, but I know they're out there of, of, of which other superhero in which other universe is more powerful than Superman. But I think ultimately we get this idea that, that he is supreme. The idea of him is supreme. Um, the other idea of supremacy that we have these days is, is, is sporting supremacy, isn't it? And I know it's a bit closer these days, but for so many years, the, the, the Maroons State of Origin team just had sporting supremacy, didn't they? Each and every year it'd get around a State of Origin time and you just knew Queensland was going to wipe the floor with those cockroaches. And, and as a Queenslander, I think that's, that's pretty great. And so being on that side of that supremacy is a great thing to be. The other one I've got up there, I guess, is a bit more of my background with motorsport and things like that. Um, I'm not sure if you're V8 Supercar fans or not, but last year's V8 Supercar Championship was a whitewash by this guy, a guy called Shade Van Gisbergen. Uh, he won every race. There were races where he had something happen and he had to start at the back of the field and you just watched as he went from the very back all the way to the front. No one could stop him from passing them and he got all the way and, and then somehow figures out how to keep his car doing a burnout while he stands on the roof when he wins the championship at the end of the year. Now, for me, this one doesn't sit quite as comfortably because my family are a Ford family. Uh, My grandfather spent 30 years building Fords in Melbourne. Um, Sandoms drive Fords, race Fords, build Fords. It's part of our DNA. And so when there's supremacy from the Holden team kind of leaves us feeling a bit down. But we have this idea, don't we, where what we want to do now is we want to see our team be supreme. We want to see, we get this idea that that as we move forward, there might be work to be done or something that needs to happen for us to become supreme. However, hopefully, with our understanding as Christians, we understand that Jesus' supremacy is on a whole other level. 
For the last couple of years, as I said with the sporting stuff, we've seen New South Wales stepping it up, stepping it up, and maybe a few things with Queensland that have caused some dramas that we're not as supreme as we used to be. But we understand that that the supremacy of Jesus is something a bit different, that he is above all, he is greater than all, he is of more worth than anything else. We know this because we know that Jesus is God himself that he's come to earth as a human. We know this ultimately because the supreme Jesus humbled himself to enact the greatest and most beneficial act of salvation for us so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we can have a right relationship with God. I mean, this isn't the passage I'm preaching from this morning, but we know that in Philippians 2, we're told that then Jesus, because of his worthy sacrifice that God raised him from the dead and has seated him on the throne over the earth so that he is supreme right now. We know that, as Philippians 2 says, that one day um, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow on heaven and earth and under the earth. They will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we know that Jesus is seated on the throne now. It's not about the fact that he has work to do to become supreme, It's not about the fact that there's someone else might rise up who will become more supreme and take him down. We know this morning as Christians that Jesus is supreme because he is God and he is on the throne. Um, And so so what I want to do this morning then is if we know this, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about what is the supremacy of Christ, but I want to more look at what effect does that have On our lives? What does that mean for the church? How do we live in light of Jesus' supremacy? And I know we we had the Bible reading just before, but um, so I I think I'll just, I've got a few slides here with the Bible reading on it again, I might just skip over those. Um, But the introduction that Paul has to the church in Colossae, which was read for us just before, this initial prayer that he, that he, he speaks or writes to the church actually shows us these effects of the supremacy of Christ on the church. Um, For so long, uh, even probably at the start of my Bible college journey, um, I always kind of skipped the first few chapters or the first chapter or the first few verses of Paul's letters because they all just seem to be just a welcoming and a prayer. And it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's get through that bit so I can get to the meaty part of what Paul's saying. But I've come to really notice and really love and understand that that Paul's prayers for the church are so rich in meaning and and usually share the heart of what he has for the church before he then gets into the meat and the nitty-gritty of of what he's trying to teach the church. And so that's why we're looking at this this morning. He doesn't give a detailed explanation of what it means that Christ is supreme. That actually comes in chapters 2 or 3 of Colossians. What he does here is he assumes that we know it. We know that Christ is supreme, so he moves on to talk about what effects that supremacy has on our lives as believers. And as I said before, that's what I'm going to do today and follow his lead. If you have any queries, if you're sitting here today and you're not a believer and you, you have queries about why Jesus is supreme or what it means that Jesus is supreme... I'm happy to talk to you later, or I'm sure there's other people here that are happy to do that as well. But today, for now, there's three things I want to pull out of this passage today. Three things that show us that Jesus' supremacy, or three things that the supremacy of Jesus has done for the church. 
The first one of those is, um, there it is there, the universal impact of the gospel on the church. And I know that that word universal is a little bit risky to use uh, sometimes in a church setting. Know that I'm not talking about the fact that that because Jesus has died, everyone on earth universally will be saved, that, that love is enough. There's a movement in the church out there these days that tries to share that, that we shouldn't be talking about things like hell and, 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 and sin and, and all those things because universally now everyone is saved. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that at all this morning. What I'm talking about is in a gospel light that... I'm standing right in the middle of the screen, sorry. Um, As Paul introduces himself to the church, what he wants to do is show that even though he's not part of this local church, there's a universal nature that happens because of the gospel. Two people who are believers, two people who have been called by Christ. And it's there in the language of the greeting. If you have a look at, if you've got your Bibles there and you've got it opened up to the passage, verse 3 talks about this idea that we always thank God we always pray for you. There are people outside of the church and, and, and a group of people. Paul isn't saying I, he's saying we. Um, verse 4 there says, We've heard about the love that you have for all of the saints. Verses 5 and 6 goes on to say that the gospel has come to you. In fact, the whole world is bearing fruit. There's this overarching understanding that the gospel itself has actually caused a mammoth change in the world. That that something has shifted, that something is going on, that the gospel has enacted. And that's because of the supremacy of Christ. If we go down to that one. This idea... Um, I think, well, actually, why don't we just think about for a moment, one of the things that I always like to do is stop and think about the time Paul was writing this. What's going on around Paul while he's writing this letter? There's actually been very recently a seismic shift, hasn't there, in the religious nature of God's people. God has now fully revealed himself in the person of Jesus. He has sent the long-promised Messiah... Um, Jesus has brought the good news of the kingdom of God and, and, and he's enacted this good news. He's enacted this gospel by dying on the cross. And so, so now faith in God is actually only achievable through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The, the, the sacrificial system is, is, is not in use anymore. I mean, though in Paul's day... It was still very much in use, wasn't it? The Jewish uh, religion was still uh, there. It was, only up, um, it, was only, it was a few years later before the, the temple was destroyed and had a, a huge um, impact on, on the sacrificial worship. But there's been this shift now that in the church, the full revelation of God has happened and the, the church is calling out to the world, but it's also calling out to the Jews saying... The Messiah has come, God has revealed himself, the gospel is here and it's changed everything. Specifically, because this has been born in the church, Paul says there that it's actually having fruit over the whole world. It's not just Jerusalem, it's not just the Jewish uh, parts of the land, but, but Colossae is, is, is way further north. Colossae is out in the, in the areas where Gentiles live. 
but it's, having, it's bearing fruit there as well. The gospel is spreading through the word, world because the gospel has made this seismic, ultimate and, and reality-altering impact on faith in God, on the church. And so what this does for the church is actually created a supernatural unity within the church, even over so many different physical locations. Paul's reminding them here that the church is universally connected by the gospel, that that the gospel is the good news that Jesus has saved us all in the same way, That, that he saved us from the result of our sin. It doesn't matter how great our sin is uh, or or how different we might be to someone else. We've been saved in the same way because of Jesus' actions on the cross. And because he is supreme, because his sacrifice at that time on the cross was worthy... And so we have, again, to use that word, that grand universal idea that we're all inherently connected because of the gospel. It's actually why I can stand here today, having never stood here before you guys before, and confidently proclaim the gospel. Knowing that the gospel that is preached in Brisbane needs to be the same gospel that is preached in Toowoomba, that is the same gospel that needs to be preached in Turkey... It's it's why I actually have a heart to to see every church succeed in sharing that same gospel. But like point two says there up on the screen, there's also a local and individual element of the gospel for us as well. Verse six talks about that here in our passage today, um, where it it says, uh, it's come to you. Yes, it's, got, it's indeed bearing fruit through the whole world, but, but it's, sorry, it's bearing fruit through the whole world as it also has done amongst you since the day you heard it and you understood it. The grace of the God in truth. I mean, there's this idea that the gospel has a unique and potent impact on every individual church as well. Actually, even more so individually on the lives of believers within that church. What happens here at Eastgate Bible Church will differ um, to what happens at our home church where Chelsea and I go at Eastside Community Baptist in Brisbane. We're universally united by the gospel, but it kind of gets enacted in different ways. Things we do at Eastside won't work in the context that you guys are working with up here in Toowoomba. And this is why it's so important for us to remember this this, this first point, that that Jesus must remain centre of everything we do locally because that's the call for the church globally. When I was at Birkdale Baptist, we were there pretty close to the water out in Redlands, which is a beautiful place to be. And one of the things that we were doing, a friend and I, to try and spread the gospel... Uh, was we started up a bit of a kayaking club. Not really a club in the sense that just Jono and I enjoyed kayaking, so we would take our kayaks down to the, to the bay or the river and we'd put our kayaks in the water at the same time every couple of weeks, knowing that other people who liked kayaking uh, were doing the same thing. And so we got to know people who weren't part of the church 
as we paddled around the water there and we were able to say, hey, I'm a pastor at the church, Jono was an intern at the church and we were able to strike up uh, conversations about what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus with people, trying to encourage them to, to search that out for themselves. Now, I'm not sure what kind of waterways you have here in Toowoomba, but I'm, not, I'm kind of suspecting maybe a kayaking club may not be the best uh, plan for you guys up here. There might be something different. I'm such a foreigner to, 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 to Woomba at the moment that I won't even presume to try and tell you what that would be because you guys would know that much better than I. But in the, your local context, but the heart behind it would be the same, wouldn't it? That you would be going out to try and connect with people who don't know Jesus to show them that he is the central thing in our lives. Understanding um, the, the setting of Colossae here actually intensifies the idea for us. It, it helps us understand it a bit more. Um, see, Colossae actually wasn't an important town in Paul's day. One time it had been a very important town. It had been part of the trading route from the east to the west. And, and, but what had happened is it actually had been bypassed over time. Its neighbouring city, Laodicea, was now on the bypass and it had become a much more important city. I mean, you guys in Toowoomba recently have, have known what it means to have a bypass, don't you? Um, maybe not quite as, as drastic as some. I've got the picture up there. One of the, my, my grandparents, um, when I was growing up, my grandparents lived in the town of Kempsey, um, mid-north coast of, the, uh, of New South Wales. And I can remember we lived in Newcastle and, and we would travel up there quite a bit. And then when we moved up to Ipswich, my dad was in the Air Force, so we moved around a bit. But we would always travel to Kempsey for holidays. Uh, and Kempsey was a fairly decent-sized town for, for that area because it was kind of that place where you could stop, have lunch, have a meal, um, spend the night if you're travelling from Brisbane to Sydney. It's probably a good spot. To, um, I think even after my grandparents uh, passed away, we would still stop in Kempsey if we were ever on our travels on the way through. It had been quite a few years and um, with my work with supercars, I, I got to go to Bathurst one year and, uh, and then from there, because I was a pastor, I got to take the opportunity to have a bit of a holiday afterwards and so I travelled to Sydney and I spent a week in Sydney um, and I was driving back uh, from this trip and, my, and I'd driven as far as where we'd lived in Newcastle and I'd sort of spent a bit of time uh, checking out my old stomping grounds and as I got up the next morning I thought what I'm going to do is I'll drive because as a kid I can remember it used to take about four hours to drive to Nana and Pop's place so I'll, I'll stop for, for breakfast or I'll get up early, I'll stop for breakfast in Kempsey and I was so surprised that the drive to Kempsey took me about 90 minutes. The new highway had bypassed the mountains, the new highway had bypassed so many of the winding, slow roads that I remember as a child. And, and at 90 minutes' time, I couldn't believe it when I saw this sign that was the bypass of Kempsey. I didn't even have to stop. If I wanted to stop, there was a gigantic Caltex with a McDonald's and a coffee shop and all that right there on the highway. I didn't even have to go into town. But I think because... I, because I'd been on a bit of a trip through my old stomping grounds, I decided that I'd still swing off and go through uh, the town. And I stopped and I had breakfast in a little cafe I remember going to as a kid. I remember looking at the, the main street of Kempsey and thinking, wow, all these businesses are dying. There were so many Felice signs up. The traffic was hardly anything which I've, the locals probably loved, but, but at the same time, the commerce and everything that was happening in that town was, was, was crumbling because of the bypass. 
Two years later, I did the same trip, but I started from Canberra. And so I stopped the night in Newcastle, and the next morning I just wanted to get home. And I can just remember two years later blowing past Kempsey like it wasn't even there. This is kind of the situation Colossae finds itself in now. And to the point where Paul had never been to Colossae. He wasn't the person that had planted the church there. Yet what he is doing is writing to them from prison because he has heard about them. He's been encouraged by them. He's praying for them and he wants to correct and challenge them to ensure that Christ remains the centre of all they do. At the end of the book, you will, if you get that far, you'll also see that he's writing a letter to the Laodicean church. And even though they're the bigger, more important city at this time, they're not a bigger or more important church. Because what he says is, what I've written to the Laodiceans is relevant for you, and what I've written for you is relevant for the Laodiceans, so make sure you, you read each other's letters as well. There's this universal effect that the gospel has had on the church. No matter how big, no matter how prosperous, no matter how important, from a worldly point of view it may look, the same gospel element is within everything and we can be united as we all recognise the supremacy of Jesus and we submit to it. And so it brings me to this question, this first part of application for us this morning. How often do we concern ourselves with the church at a universal level, that we're not just focused on what's going on here, what, what, what directly affects us. I mean, yes, our local contexts are important because that's where our effect on the world is for the gospel. That's where we're making disciples. But we should be concerned about how other churches are doing. We should be supporting the struggling churches. We should be encouraging the good gospel workers that are in churches where conflict and turmoil is, is present because of sin. We should be um, encouraging and praying for and supporting people that go to churches in unreached people groups like Turkey. We need to be aware of all of these things because we need to support everyone who is committed to the supremacy of Jesus in this entire world because we are all unified with them. And that brings me to the second effect that Jesus' supremacy has on the church. This, this idea that, yes, we're inherently and universally connected by the gospel, that this good news of Jesus is there, in turn, that means that the church is now the light in the darkness. Let me read verses 12 to 14 for you again. Um, Paul says that he's giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the, inhabit uh, the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the, the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I know I've kind of gone from verse 6 all the way down to verse 12. I'm going to come up to, back to those ones in the middle in a moment. But here... I think we see the, the overarching conclusion that Paul is making about what it means to be a Christ-centred church. It builds on the fact that the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, has this profound effect on all, of, all those who believe. But Paul is saying that that effect is actually the fact that the Father has qualified us now to share in the inheritance of the light. This qualification delivers us from the domain of darkness. 
I mean, what does that mean? Um, it means that there is a domain of darkness there, and, and if we're being pulled out of it, it means that we all started there. Our initial settings that we all found ourselves in was this domain of darkness, this broken world, our sin and the subsequent ruined relationship with God is where we all began. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, God now has a way to pull us out of that dominion of darkness and into an inheritance of light. And Paul says here in verse 14 that this happens through the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And again, I could preach a whole other sermon on that. And so we're going to just say that this is how it happens. We're pulled from the light, or pulled from the darkness into the light. And this is an important thing for us as a church to understand. I mean, the idea of light and darkness is probably, is a very common religious idea, both in the Jewish world and in the pagan worlds of its day. It actually remains a really, really common element in culture in our time today as well. I mean, if I throw that picture up there, most of us would look at that and go, Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, the light side of the force and the dark side of the force. I mean, so much even of our entertainment is, is, revolves around this idea of light and dark. Um, even more so, it, it, it permeates through so much more than just what we watch. When things get tough, what do we call them? Dark times. I mean, these last couple of years, you think about from 2020 um, through 2021 when we had the worldwide pandemic, we would, we would identify that as quite a dark time in our history. Now, even today, as we see the things of the um, cost of living going up and rising and interest rates and all those things happening, we feel like it's a bit of a, a dark time. When things don't go our way, when evil is present, when nature causes havoc somewhere in the world, it's usually referred to as some kind of darkness. A lot of our Western philosophy is built upon concepts of light, things that are good, pure, um, and, and things that are dark, evil, wrongdoing, brokenness. Other religions use these terms as well. And it's really interesting to think about the fact that if Colossae had once been the centre of a trading route, it would have been a churning pool of philosophical and religious ideas. The trade route would have brought... Jewish thought, and even some of the ancient um, Near East religions and the pagan religions that, that were dealt with in the Old Testament, they would have been influenced through Colossae, through the trade from the south. They would have had what in their time would have been considered the New Age kind of religions and thought, would have been coming down from the north. The Greek philosophies and, and the Roman pantheon of, of, of gods would have been influenced there. But it was also the road to the east, so there would have been the mystic religions of the east would have had some sort of form in there. And Paul is speaking to the church at this time saying, church, you are the light. In all of this, in everything that is going on, the gospel, through Jesus' supremacy and what he has done for people, is pulling them out of that darkness and into the light. And church, that is what you're to be focused on and why you spreading the gospel is so important. You are pulling people from a dominion of darkness into an inheritance of light. I mean, what a, a reminder for us today when we think about how dark 
the world is that we live in, the, the cultural churning pool that is around us of people who don't want to have anything to do with, with God or people that want to have everything to do with how they can just better themselves and get the most for themselves, no matter even maybe how they treat others around them. We think of some of the, the depravity that is seeping through our culture today that seems to not just be hidden anymore but done right out there in open for all to see. And I think Paul would be crying to you guys here as the church in Toowoomba saying, Church, you are the light in the darkness that is in Toowoomba. This is a reminder for you to say, because Jesus is supreme, because you submit to his authority, your role is to show that light to others, to pull them from the domain of darkness. And that brings me to the final point that I have today this final effect that the supremacy of Jesus has on us as a church, but also individually on us as Christians. In verse 9 to 12, that little bit that I jumped over just before, Paul actually outlines that the way we live once we're affected by the gospel matters. That, that there is a process for us of living in the light. Let me read those verses for you again now. Verse 9 says, And so from, this, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. What we're seeing here is three steps. Um, Three steps in the process of our lives that will highlight the fact that we've been affected by the supremacy of Jesus. Um, Things in our lives that will show that the gospel has made this lasting impact on us. The first one we saw there was the fact that knowledge leads to service. Knowledge of what we've already talked about, this understanding of, of who Jesus is and what he has done. Jesus and his gospel. Verse 9 there said that Paul hopes that we're filled with that knowledge. But then verse 10 says, so that. And one of the things that I was taught in Bible college was if you ever are reading the Bible and and you see either therefore or so that, you have to go back and see what it's there for. And so since there's this so that, we know that what's said before it is going to have a direct impact on what is said after it. And so there's this idea that this knowledge is there so that we serve. The knowledge isn't there so that we have an easy life. The knowledge isn't there so that we get everything we want. The the knowledge isn't there so that we look like we're good people. The knowledge is there, we get the knowledge so that we serve. So that we walk in a manner that is worthy. So that we bear fruit in every good work. I mean, understanding Jesus leads us to serve Jesus. 
There's a life application to our knowledge. One of, the, one of my favourite Bible passages is Matthew chapter 7, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus wraps everything up by saying, the wise man built his house on the rock, and the foolish man built his house on the sand. And we know that the wise man's house stood, and we know that the foolish man's house fell. But my, the thing that I love about that passage is Jesus starts that by saying, those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice are like a wise man. And then he says, those who hear these words of mine and, put them in, and don't put them into practice are like a foolish man. Both the wise and the foolish hear the words of Jesus. The difference is that one goes and does them and the other one doesn't. And I think Paul's starting to hit the same thing here. We can have the knowledge... But unless we go through that so that, that we begin to serve, then that knowledge is not really worth that much. The next thing that, we're, 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 that we've got here as a process of living in the light is that that service is then repaid by strength. When we serve Jesus, we're then empowered by him through the Holy Spirit to continue serving Jesus. That's what verse 11 says. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious and might for the endurance and patience with joy. So as you serve, may you then be strengthened so that you can serve. And there's a really key thing here that, that seems to stand out that we miss so often. It's a little bit like the branch trying to produce its own grapes before with the kids' story is that we don't serve in our own strength. What does it say here? We know, so we serve. And because we serve, we're then strengthened to serve. The best servants aren't the ones who are the most able of their own ability. They're not the ones who try to push the grapes out harder and harder and harder until they can try and produce their own thing. No, what we're being told here is that by knowing the gospel, we know that we're submitting to the supremacy of Christ. We're abiding in the vine, like it said in the children's story this morning. And so by doing that, we are then strengthened and we can produce and bear the fruit of the gospel. And then finally today, we come to this final point where it's all done being immersed in thanksgiving. That's what, that's what he says there at the start of verse 12. As we're strengthened in verse 11, verse 12 says we're giving thanks to the Father. Because in all of these things, we realise that it is only God the Father who has qualified us to be in the light. We haven't done it under our own strength. We've done it because of the acts of the Son and the supremacy of Christ. And so knowing this, we're thankful to God because he's done something so great for us to save us and so thankfully we serve him. And so in recognising all of this, the supremacy of Jesus, we are then submitting to it. So today let's grab on to these three things as practical application for our passage today. Do, do we have this knowledge is this something that you can ask yourself right now? Do we have the knowledge of the good news? Do we understand and know what the gospel is? Have we recognised the supremacy of Jesus in our lives? 
Have we recognised that that has pulled us from the dominion of darkness into light and that's what gives us this universal connection to the church, that all of this is because of the knowledge of the gospel and Jesus? I mean, as I said earlier, if this is something that you haven't done yet, if you haven't accepted, if you haven't understood um, the knowledge yet, all I can say is please open your heart up and open your mind to exploring and understanding it. Come back next week where I'm sure it will be explained more, not by me, but by someone else who has been universally changed and affected by the gospel and who will preach it to you. All I want to say today is that Like Paul was praying for the church in Colossae, I will be praying that you come to understand the gospel. Even though I won't be here because I understand that the gospel changes everything. But for those of you who today who are here and say, yes, I've grasped that. Yes, I have that knowledge. Yes, I do understand that I've been pulled from darkness into light. The next step for you is to practically look at and evaluate your own life. Has that knowledge led to service? I think for a lot of Christians these days, something gets a bit miswired at this point. They think Christianity is all about how it makes them feel, all about the experience that they might get on a Sunday just to get them through the next week. But you know what? As hard as I look for it in here, I don't see that kind of thing happening in the Bible. Time and time again, I see God calling to people, saving them, and then throwing them into some of the most horrendous and hard situations you could ever imagine. Paul himself is in prison when he writes these words. My own experience, I think, has been that as well. That that even though my knowledge of truth pushes me into a life of serving that truth, that hasn't meant that I've gotten everything that I've wanted. That hasn't even meant that I've had a comfortable life as much as I would like it. What it means is that I have a daily life of doing something in response to the knowledge that I have. And if I'm honest with you this morning, I think that's when I'm strongest in my faith. Thing, even particularly when things aren't going my way, but I still focus on the fact that I need to continue serving him. When I'm, when I'm running towards Jesus in submission to his supremacy. Because other times, when I'm caught up in my feelings and I'm feeling pretty sorry for myself because things haven't gone my way and I forget about running towards Jesus, or maybe even when I'm really comfortable when I have material possessions that I feel comfortable with, when I'm confident in my own abilities and I feel that I can do things on my own, then Jesus isn't the centre anymore. And he has to be the centre. Paul is telling the church this, and I believe he's telling us this today, that, 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 that we need to ensure that Christ remains the centre. And to do that means not looking to ourselves and our own comforts, but on how we can serve Jesus. I want to finish this morning with just a quote um, from Francis Chan, who was a pastor in the US, and I know there's probably been some things over the last couple of years that, that Francis has said and done that makes us wonder where he's really at. I still think that he has a great passion for the church uh, and, and a great passion to see people come to Jesus. But as he, he wrote here in one of his books, he says, you have to stop loving and pursuing Christ in order to sin. 
When you were running towards Christ, you were freed up to serve, love and give thanks without guilt, worry or fear. As long as you're running, you're safe. You have this idea that you have something that you're, you're, you're focused on and you're pointed and you're running to. You're running towards Jesus. And the first thing you have to do if you are going to look at yourself, if you are going to sin, if you are going to do something that Jesus doesn't want you to do, the very first thing you have to do is actually take your eyes off him, isn't it? We have a dog at home, a cattle dog. Uh, he, he's, he's a great... Um, He's a great dog to have around, great companion to have around, and he loves, like all cattle dogs, loves to run. Uh, he loves to have a ball and chase a ball. And there, but there's, there's something funny, I'm not sure about his name's Dodge, something with Dodge. He never quite learnt to run properly as a puppy. And as a puppy, it's gotten a bit better over time, but I can remember as a puppy, you'd go outside and he'd come running towards you. But he'd be running like this. The back legs were almost going faster than the front legs, and he'd be all crooked, and he'd run towards you, and, and he'd, he'd, look, he'd look pretty funny, he'd look like a bit of a Gumby, or like, you, think, like, you think of the working dogs that you probably see out this way, and, and Dodge definitely doesn't look like one of those. However, if you have a ball in your hand, and, and he is, he's laser focused on you, you can, you can move the ball around, his eyes will just follow you, but when you throw that ball, he runs straight as an arrow. He looks like a magnificent part of God's creation, just all muscle, sleek and super fast. He'll outrun nearly every other dog in the, on the dog beach uh, if he's chasing his ball. When he's focused on that ball, when he's got something right in front of him, he is arrow sharp and perfect. He picks the ball up and then he starts running back to you and his legs start, back legs start going faster and he looks like an absolute Gumby again. When he's focused on something when that, the, the ball is the centre of his universe, he is at his very best. And it's the same for us as Christians. When we have Jesus as our central focus, when we understand that he is supreme, that he is of greater worth than anything else, that he is more worthy to be praised than any other thing we could think of, material or otherwise, in this world, when we are focused on him, then our lives will run arrows straight and we will be acting in the exact way we were created, like my dog chasing a ball. But it's when we have our eyes on other things, most usually ourselves. I know we don't have four legs, but it'll be like our back legs are running faster than our front. We may even run off track. We might cause some pretty big harm. And so this morning, like Paul has said... I want to finish with this idea that, that as someone who has come to visit you guys today, greatly thankful that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, since I've heard about what you guys have been doing up here in, in Toowoomba with your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for the saints, I've been thinking about that and praying that and want to continue praying that for you. But at the same time, like Paul prayed that for Colossae, I want to challenge you Keep Christ centre in your lives and centre in your church. Why don't I pray? Lord Jesus, this morning as, as we've, we've opened your word and we've looked at these things, that it means that you are supreme in our lives, that you are the very centre of our lives. May you continue to show us how that practically works out individually for each one of us as we go to our workplaces, our homes, our, our, our schools, our universities this week. 
Lord Jesus, may we continually be connected through this universal idea that the gospel has changed us and brought us from a dominion of darkness into your light. But Lord Jesus, don't let us stop thinking about how that impacts us individually and locally here as a church and what it is that you would want us to do with the faith that we have professed. Lord Jesus, may we all work in a worthy manner to the calling to which you have called us. Jesus, you're in charge, and so I pray that you do your thing in our lives. In your name. Amen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us 